How's it going, my fellow history scholars? Welcome back to the podcast where we talk about the unanswered questions of history and unravel the mystery of the many questions we ask about our past. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here. And then via technology, Ian is here as well. You want to say hi, Ian? Hello, everybody. All right. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you guys that the Facebook page is obviously out. And uh, go check that for information on the episodes and ask questions, as well as to stay up to date on information concerning the podcast. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by donating on Anchor the awesome podcast server we use to make all these episodes possible. And uh, we really couldn't have made these podcasts without Anchor, so shout out to them. Um, In the end, we're going to give some shout outs to you guys and uh, some of you who have already liked the Facebook page, and we thank you for the growth that we've been seeing and experiencing with it. We're almost to 50. If we get to to 100, I'll do something crazy. I'll make a live podcast and do something crazy on the live podcast. All right. Today, I think we're going to be talking about something really interesting. And I'm sorry uh, some of these episodes took a while to get out, but we had some uh, difficulties, to say the least, on on our end. And uh, some different stuff that happened to prevent us from making podcasts. But we're back, and uh, we're better than ever. And uh, we're going to do this episode, and then I got another one planned after this one. And uh, I think that one will be really interesting as well. But today we're going to be talking about lost Confederate treasure, and that's a topic I really recommended to uh, a a lot of people, and it was actually recommended to us by somebody on the Facebook page. So this is what I'm saying. If you guys have a question or subject you want us to talk about, feel free to ask us, and uh, we might do an episode on it like like we're doing on this one today. Um, As well as being a very interesting topic and a mystery that has yet to be solved, I think this one will be a quite a page turner and uh, maybe enlighten you guys on some of the actual events that happened behind the civil war that a lot of us don't really think about or know. Uh, So I think this one should be pretty interesting. All right. You got anything before we start Ian? Uh, No, I'm just excited to get into these topics. I know a lot of this stuff I had no idea even existed. Yep. Uh, All right. Now let's start. All right. All right, now we're going heading into the Civil War, and if uh, I if I remember correctly, uh, I believe that the the Civil War started after the there was a conflict between the North and South, where the North wanted to have uh, federal federal government and rule over the South, but the South wanted to have uh, <clears throat> individual state government, uh, allowing for their economies to be able to to not take pressure from the North. Uh, does that sound familiar? Yeah, and really, contrary to uh, popular belief, the Civil War was really more caused over uh, states' rights and uh, economic collapse in the South than it was really anything else. Because mm-hmm. right. I, I, uh, there's a, I believe that the, the the modern the modern view on the Civil War is that it was uh, mainly about slavery and that uh, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, but we're going into we're gonna debunk that theory or debunk that that uh that teaching oh yeah should be interesting all right before we talk about the confederate treasure we got to realize uh, some basic background on the civil war and as we're talking about it wasn't really started how a lot of people think it was 
And uh, knowing that the Civil War, uh, it's important for understanding Confederate treasure and uh, understanding the minds of the Confederates. So, all right, let's get into it. The American Civil War was one of the largest and easily most destructive conflicts in the Western world. And it was really between the end of the Napoleonic Wars in 1815 and the onset of World War I in 1914. And uh, ultimately, it determined what kind of country the United States would be in a changing world. The revolution created the United States, but the Civil War would really determine what kind of nation it would be. So, 1790s, America gains its independence through the revolution. And uh, as the United States grows and it goes through time, uh, really several questions come into uh, context. And uh, really several questions are going to be at the forefront of the minds of especially politics, but also uh, individuals in the country. And uh, one of these really main ideas was over the issue of slavery. And uh, as the United States was expanding and gaining new territory, uh, political and economic rights between uh, between states were really were really fought over, because the uh, southern way of lifestyle was really based on uh, these large plantations that needed the help of lots of uh, that really needed lots of hands and uh, making them possible. And the North was very much more industrialized in that a lot of it was based on manufacturing and uh, factory systems that would. Uh, especially start developing more during the during the industrial revolution it ultimately resolved the two questions left unresolved by the revolution and uh, one of them was whether the united states would be a confederation of sovereign states or would they unite together and then two whether this nation born that all men were created equal would continue to exist as the largest slaveholding country in the world. So the United States was actually the largest slaveholding country in the world compared to uh, all the other countries at this time. Um, Do you have any idea why? Like I said, uh, it was mainly because a lot of these aristocratic Southerners depended their uh, their plantation on the help of many hands or slaves. Uh-huh. They they couldn't do it themselves based on the, these huge plantations and just a sheer amount of acres that these rich southerners southerners owned. And and um, back then the slave with uh, slavery was practically holding up the entire economy. Yeah, especially in the south, and uh, yeah. the north by now had become mainly industrialized, like we were talking about. So uh, they yeah, don't really like need that labor anymore. Factories. Yeah. So they didn't really need that labor anymore. And uh, that factor of uh, industrials, industrialization would also play a huge part in the Civil War as well. And we'll, we'll see that a little bit later. So before any major battle began, the conflict between the North and South had uh, really arisen mainly over the states' rights and slavery, like we were talking about. And this uh, political conflict grew from the disagreement to major divide in the United States during the 1850s, after laws like the Kansas-Nebraska Act were passed, only making it worse. Uh, Kansas saw it particularly bad. And uh, if you guys have ever heard the term bleeding Kansas, this refers to a divide between the no- between the north of the state and the south of the state with uh, 
issues over slavery. So the, the southern Kansas had uh, slave plantations and then northern Kansas didn't. So it really divided families, especially who lived in this state. And the fact that uh, some of the family members wanted slavery and didn't see any problems with it. And then other people in the family did see problems with it. And uh, this is why it's called Bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas, because families were divided and uh, terrible bloodshed and acts were committed because of this conflict in the state. So that especially was a, a terrible political action by the United States, because before this, really, as states were added to the Union, it was either fully Confederate or fully, or sorry, not fully Confederate. It had a full rights to own slave own slave labor, or uh, it didn't have rights at all. So this was really a bad action taken by the United States at this time. The election of 1860 would also make it worse, and this was really the last straw for some of the pro-abolitionists, or sorry, for some of the for some, some of the Southerners, because the elected president was a pro-abolitionist, and uh, this president, you should probably know him, was Abraham Lincoln. And uh, he was brought into office during this time. And after the election, the, the South slowly began breaking away. And uh, this ultimately started the Civil War. There were uh, stories, actually, that some of the people in the South hated Lincoln so much and uh, hated the fact that he got elected that they would actually like make scarecrows of him. And they would, and they would burn him in these fires. It was really That's terrible. Insane. Yeah, it's no wonder that he is so hated that he got a, to the point of assassination. Yeah, and we'll see that later. So, uh, yeah. the election of Lincoln was really important, <laughs> especially. So, Not yeah, only so, for... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was just trying to say that. Um so in a way, it did revolve around slavery, but it more so revolved around the economy that the South depended on, and they, that's why they broke away. Yeah, and then that's what the that's what brought um, about the Civil War because they didn't want a separation in the of the states. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that divide was really the major reason why the Civil War started. The, the economic and political differences between the the South and North, they really couldn't be reconciled. So the Civil War officially began with the Battle of Fort Sumter, a fort built in South Carolina to, pr to protect the Charleston Harbor. More than 100 Union troops stood guard at Fort Sumter, commanded by Major Anderson, when it was bombarded by Confederates for 34 hours from the mainland. So Fort Sumter was really the first battle of the civil war. And this took place in South Carolina. So it was in the South. Uh, the major divide between the North and South was really from uh, like the middle of Virginia up was the North. And then from the middle of Virginia South was the South. So this is, so this is interesting. So the first, so first battle was fought in Southern Carolina, but it was a, it was a fort that was um protected by the union troops and the so, so this essentially was the south trying to get their own territory from their own southern state 
Yeah, pretty much. But you also got to keep in mind at this time that there was really only one army. And there was really only one United States. So by saying uh, Confederates, we're really referring to uh, the first rebellions against the system of the United States before the Confederate states were really formed. Well, I think they definitely were formed, but the fact that this took place in South Carolina shows that the Confederates were actually really taking something that was already in their own territory from the United States. So Union forces would eventually surrender, and this major Confederate victory would help kickstart the Civil War, which, which would be a long and bloody war that would last from 1861 to 1865 and ultimately determine the strength of the so-called United States of America. Uh, uh, nice one. Yeah, you see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> the not-so-United States. Yeah, determining the strength of the, the divided states of America. Yeah, really what you should call it during the Civil War. And uh, I, I think I'll probably mention this more at the end, but... I'll argue that it's not too much different today with uh, the divide between Republicans and Democrats. There are some Republicans and some Democrats that really just hate each other to the guts. And it, it makes me makes me very upset to see that history is repeating itself in that sense, especially politically with that divide between Republicans and Democrats. Recently, I'm seeing a a, a very large repeat repeat in the history of first there's a pandemic and then a possible uh, depression of the economy and then what would come next would be a war then uh, <laughs> which would be a horrible thing to repeat but I'm just saying but this democratic and republican divide is not so much geographic is it no it's really not geographic because those democrats and republicans are all over the place it's not. Yeah, a, yeah. It's not a divide so, between states. So I would be. It would be difficult to see another civil war, and, and if it were to, to, to happen, it'd be interesting to see how it would work. Well, yeah, that in, in the sense of the north and south, but there's definitely still conflict within the the political system. So yeah, I agree. Even if it's I not agree. like a physical war, we're already really having political battles with this divide between Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with this, this are uh, a rapidly decreasing economy. I'm sure tensions are rising in the political field. Oh, yeah. Every president hates the last president, and the same thing for the people who elect him. <laughs> All right, so the next major battle of the Civil War, and uh, this would be the first major land battle as well would be the battles of Bull Run, because there were two of them. There was the first battle, and then there was the second battle of Bull Run. And uh, both of these would occur near Manassas, Virginia, on July 21st, 1861. Uh, So this is what happened. 28,450 Union forces under the command of General Irvin McDowell, who was a famous Union general at this time. He really made his name in Rosa Rinks. Uh, at West Point, which was uh, one of the main general training camps campuses, I guess you can say. It was like a, a military college. And uh, McDowell attempted to surprise 32,000 
230 Confederate troops, but the Union ultimately suffered nearly 3,000 3, casualties. And this became known as the Battle of Bull Run, and uh, it introduced one of the major Confederate generals that would uh, really make a difference in the Civil War, and this would be Stonewall Jackson. And uh, there's an important thing there to do with his name, Stonewall refers to the fact that uh, he could really hold his defenses very well and that uh, in, in battles, his soldiers were good at holding tight positions and that they could uh, they could fight off against the uh, Union forces in that sense. So really interesting name that he gained there. Like we were uh, like we were kind of talking about during the Spanish episode a while back. Uh Names and pronunciations and uh, prefixes and suffixes really matter in history. If you look at them, they, they tell stories in themselves. So Stonewall was a, a name given to him by his troops or his army? Yeah, it wasn't his first name. It was a nickname that he was given during the war. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that. I just was, so it was given to him by his army. So yeah. yeah. So he, he was well-known well, well before the Civil War, I assume. Well, he rose through the ranks as well. I think McDowell had a little bit more prestige uh, before the battle of, battles of Bull Run, but Stonewall definitely had more prestige afterwards. Uh. And uh, the battle of Bull, battles of Bull Run would be very important because not only, like I said, was it the first major land battle, but it was also another major victory for the Confederacy which uh, proved very important for them. And as we'll see, the Confederates win a lot of these early battles. And uh, I think it's really because the Union didn't know exactly what they were fighting against at this point. It took them a while until they figured out what they were actually going up against. Because uh, similarly to uh, the Revolutionary War, Confederates used uh, a lot of hit-and-run tactics, like the United States did against the British, and then later like the Vietnamese did against us in the Vietnam War. And uh, this tactic has proved very important throughout history. Don't get me wrong, Confederates did their uh, did their standard standard battle formations and they they stood in their lines and they did that as well. But uh, they also used this hit and run that proved very important for them. So the next major battle would be uh, another series of battles, and this would be at Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson on uh, February 16th, 1862. And this happened in Tennessee. And uh, this battle was really important because it saw the introduction of the famous ironclad. I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures of these, but these ironclads are really badass. They look super cool, and they were highly effective. Uh, They were one of the first really what you can call a battleship and uh, they were introduced during the civil war. I think they were, uh, I think they might've been around before this, but their first major use was in the civil war. And these things were, were super badass. They took uh, the design of almost like a regular ship, but made it into a, a battleship using protected metal armor and plate plated armor. And then putting the, putting, putting the standard cannons in there as well. And it was, Almost even like a, a submarine as well. It didn't yeah, yeah. go like very, underwater. Kind of like the U-boats, right? Uh, similar to U-boats, I would say, but not exactly the same. 
they yeah. they didn't go underwater, but they were protected with uh, metal plating, kind of similar to what would have been on a U-boat and what would have been on a warship as uh, we progress through time. Uh, interestingly enough, these battles at Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson happened only 10 miles apart. So these battles were really close. And uh, it began when the Confederates at Fort Henry on February 5th were bombarded by General USS Ulysses S. Grant, God, I can't talk. Uh, and his troop of seven gunboats. The Confederates would evacuate to Fort Henry and uh, move to Fort Donaldson, 10 miles away, and uh, Grant's troops would actually follow him. Uh, the Union would suffer 2,331 casualties, while the Confederacy suffered 15,000. Wow. So quite a difference there in uh, the amount of death per side. So a very successful battle for the Union. Yeah, for the Union. This was one of their early successes. And uh, you notice this happened in 1862. So it ha took them like a year until they really started winning their first yeah. victories. And uh, the Civil War was only five years long. So that's that's important to realize in the grand scheme of things. I think uh, this battle was also interesting as well because uh, it was one of Grant's major. Uh, it was one of Grant's major actions during the war. He would uh, go on to do a lot more, but uh, this battle would ultimately be a precursor to another battle at Gettysburg, and that one's very famous. You guys have probably heard about that one. I mean, yeah, I believe that's that's probably the most famous battle of the Civil War. Oh yeah. And uh, because of this battle at Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson, Grant would really make his name. And he, uh, he'd really show who he was. Because uh, actually, interestingly enough, Robert E. Lee had uh, tons of experience over Grant. And uh, Abraham Lincoln actually wanted wanted uh, Lee to be his major general in the war. He, he didn't want Grant. He wanted Lee over Grant originally. Mm -hmm. But was Robert E. Lee was home to... Uh... What was, what was Robert E. Lee's uh, home? Wasn't that why he, he chose to be a Confederate? Yeah, he lived in Virginia, but I think he might have lived yeah. in uh, in Southern Virginia. And uh, that was right on the border because Washington, D.C. was quite literally divided during this war between the North and South. But wow. uh, I think it was probably also because of his, uh, his views that he ultimately ended up choosing the South. I think he uh, probably didn't have any problem with slavery and he saw the importance that it had for the South. So I think that's probably why he ended up choosing them over the union. Yeah. But, uh, this, uh, this conflict between, uh, Grant and Lee really, uh, it's really interesting if you want to look more into it and, uh, it, it might surprise you. It's uh, and it's an interesting relationship that they have during the civil war. They've, they uh, fought on the same grounds in multiple battles, or is it just the Gettysburg? Uh, prob yeah, I think multiple battles. They were both the, both the head generals, so they had uh, people under them as well. But mm -hmm. yeah, they I think they felt, fought in several battles together. Or not together, but in the same on battle the same against each other. Yeah. On the same grounds, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting to think about. 
they go head to head against each other uh, several times. You build a relationship even in the midst of war. Yeah, war makes uh, war makes unforgettable bonds. It really does. All right, so uh, the next major event of the Civil War, it wasn't even actually a battle, but political legislation that ultimately made the Civil War a lot more bloody, but uh, was really a, hmm, I, I don't want to say a hit on the Union or the Confederacy, but it, it really did make a profound impact. And this was the passing by Lincoln of the Emancipation Proclamation, signed on January 1st, 1863. And uh, it proclaimed the freedom of the 3.1 million slaves in the Confederate States of America. This, not surprisingly, enraged the South and turned this into a total war to destroy the Old South. Wow. So uh, not only did this, uh, did this affect the South in that sense, but it also affected the Union. Because uh, this actually enraged uh, some of the people in the Union because they realized that the Confederates were going to be really pissed about this. But yeah, this was an executive order by Abraham Lincoln himself. It wasn't a government um, decision, right? Yeah, it was very much his own legislation that he got passed. <clears throat> so he went against the government as well, which is very interesting to think about. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect is uh, is the role of the president during warfare, and uh, Lincoln really defined that with this with this legislation. So yeah, he's like a, doing an evil for the greater good. So he's 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 made so many enemies by doing this. Oh yeah. But he knew he knows that in the end we'll come out better for it. And it's actually been debated by some historians that Lincoln didn't originally want to didn't want to free the slaves. He didn't have any reason to free the slaves. But as people and uh, African Americans especially started talking with him and started showing him the importance. That's really why he ultimately ended up passing this legislation, even though it enraged so many people. But yeah, his primary goal at, before the Emancipation Proclamation was just to to, to stop the divide. And, yeah, and win the war, reunite America. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was a very interesting turn of events during the Civil War. It just took uh, took just took uh, both the Union and the Confederacy off guard. And uh, I was wondering if you guys noticed uh, some of the wording in there. It said that it proclaimed the freedom of the 3.1 million slaves in the Confederate States of America, not the United States of America. The Confederate States of America was already its own self-proclaimed country. So this enraged people even more because when he passed this, he didn't take in mind the fact that the Confederates weren't going to listen to it anyways because they were their own country, at least in their own eyes. Yeah. So did this effectively do anything at the time? That's been one of the huge topics debated by historians because uh, some will say, yes, it was a, it was a good way to pave the road for the eventual uh, 13th amendment, which would really give African-Americans equal rights. But uh, some also say that the Emancipation Proclamation only made the Civil War worth worse because not only did it piss off some of the unions, but the Southerners didn't listen to it, and uh, they had no reason to listen it listen to it because they thought they were in their own country. 
Yeah. So it, it depends on who you talk to, I guess. It has pros and cons like I think everything throughout history has. <laughs> and uh, I'll read a little snippet of, of it right here because uh, I found this interesting. So this is from the Emancipation Proclamation itself. On the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall be then henceforth and forever free. So uh, Lincoln was really a poetic. He developed these uh, these really beautiful speeches, as we'll see throughout the Civil War, that really uh, united but also divided the Union and the South. Uh, this was uh, was the division, but it was also a way to pave the road for the eventual passing of the 13th Amendment to give African Americans equal rights. So if you guys like Civil War history, Lincoln writes uh, tons of really beautiful speeches and uh, you should really get to know them. All right, so let's talk about the Battle of Gettysburg that happened... Uh, not too long after this. The Battle of Gettysburg fought from July 1st to July 3rd. So it was only a three-day battle. Or I, I shouldn't say only because that's still that's still a long battle. Uh, in 1863 was the bloodiest battle of the war with a total of over 46,000 casualties. And it's, it's, been, uh, it's been estimated by historians that more lives were lost more American lives were lost in the Civil War than in any other battle or war that the United States ever fought. In just the Battle of Gettysburg. Not just the Battle of Gettysburg, but the Civil War as a whole. Gettysburg definitely contributed to that with 40, 46,000 casualties, but uh, the Civil War as a whole. I, uh, that's definitely the biggest battle of the Civil War. Yeah, Gettysburg was a bloodiest battle of the Civil War. No question. And uh, this one was really interesting because after a great victory over the Union forces at Chancellorsville, General Robert E. Lee marched his army from Northern Virginia into the town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, the battle lasted three days and was known as the turning point of the war. So just before this, uh, Lee had a success, had a successful victory at uh, Chancellorsville, and that's uh, that's the Battle of Chancellorsville that he had won. And uh, he was marching north, and uh, he was about to go take Gettysburg when the Union had regathered the troops as after Chancellorsville and were marching south to meet Lee on the battlefield of Gettysburg. And this was in Pennsylvania. You think about it, the, the south had, uh, after Chancellorsville, really moved pretty far north. And uh, up to this point, con the Confederate Army had a majority of the victories. And uh, the Union, after this one, they would start having the majority of victories. So this was really the turning point because the Confederates before this had won a lot of battles. But after this, the Union will start winning more battles. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can go. And, and yeah, this is where General Ulysses Grant really takes hold of the war. And he doesn't he like uh, invent different tactics for the war where he like uh, destroys and burns everything in his past to try and influence the surrender? 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, Grant, like we were saying, would be a. It would. It, he wasn't Lincoln's first choice, but he would ultimately prove himself to Lincoln, and he would be a. He would be a, a success. A successful general in his own right. So one of the really important things about the Battle of Gettysburg was uh, Lincoln's famous Gettysburg Address. And uh, his Gettysburg Address would ultimately be uh, one of the really strong uniting factors for the Union. Because uh, this address, right after one of the bloodiest battles in the Civil War, would really show uh, would really show the Union what they were fighting and why they were fighting and how they wanted to plan and win this war. And so I'll read a little bit of a snippet from that because uh, this address is really interesting. And uh, actually, at one point, I was able to memorize the whole thing and recite it from memory. Because yeah, I think, I think memorizing I this was a... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to have this memorized for a project in uh, grade school. Yeah. Uh, me and, me yeah. and one of my friends actually went back and forth on it, we we saw who can memorize more of the Gettysburg Address than the other. That's great. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on ahead. All right. So uh, this one's not recited from memory, but uh, I'll still read it for you guys. And uh, this is more towards the middle of his address, but it says, uh, We are met on a great battlefield of that war and have come to dedicate a portion of that field as the final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live. Yet it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, but that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. And that's all right. I think that speech there by Lincoln is really beautiful. And the Gettysburg address would easily become one of the most famous speeches that Lincoln would give during the civil war. And uh, it's like we were saying, it's really remembered by a lot of students in school and uh, us included who have a, uh, We've memorized parts of it for school, and uh, I alone actually just found it interesting besides school. So it's a uh, it's really beautiful. Lincoln really has the skills to be a a great writer. I mean, yeah, it's one of the most poetic and uh, important speeches, in my opinion, of, of all of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Gettysburg Address is definitely up there with the great speeches throughout history. <clears throat> So, Gettysburg <clears throat> was really the turning point of the Civil War, as well as debatably being the last major battle of the Civil War. The next major point in the war would actually be the election of 1864. And uh, Sherman's victory in Atlanta ultimately boosted Lincoln's popularity and helped him win re-election. This was a very important moment in the war because if he had not won re-election, we don't really know for sure if the Civil War would have ever been won. Lincoln played such an influential part in uh, Union tactics and uh, 
winning the Civil War for the Union. That uh, ultimately, if he wasn't reelected in 1864, uh, it's debated by historians uh, how the Civil War really would have ended up being. <clears throat> he was a super important president and uh, really uh, the key leader that helped win the Civil War for the Union during this time. Yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, it's weird to think about how history could have been different if uh, he didn't win, re he didn't win re-election. Like, what, what would happen would we be uh, an independent state, an independent country? Uh, would the North be an independent country from the South? Yeah, two separate countries within the American continent. That'd be weird. Yeah, and I wonder. And I wonder if the civil rights movement would have ever occurred. A lot of a huge setback would have occurred if this war was came out in a different uh, different result. <clears throat> and if you think about it geographically, the United States today still isn't one of the biggest, uh, based off geography and uh, land area wise, the one of the biggest countries in the world. It's really not. So uh, if it was divided by the Civil War into two separate countries, I wonder how much smaller we would have actually been. Yeah, and it would have affected our. It would have affected uh, the the scale of our military for the the next few important wars as well. Oh yeah, definitely, because you have that population and get cut in half. Mm -hmm. All right. So after evacuating Richmond, Virginia, <clears throat> excuse me, General Lee's troops were soon surrounded. This was the final engagement before on April 7th, Grant called Lee to surrender. And on April 9th, 1865, the two commanders would meet at App Appomattox Courthouse and agree on the terms of surrender, thus officially ending the Civil War. But some have argued that Lee surrendered because of desertions because desertions were mounting daily, and uh, Lee's army was suffering terrible casualties. And uh, by April 8th, the Confederates were surrounded with no possibility of escape. So we wonder uh, if Lee would have really surrendered at Appomattox if it wasn't for uh, the state of his army. If his army had been, uh, had been functioning and had been... Uh, had been thriving and was still good up to this point, if the Civil War would have lasted longer, or uh, maybe even the South would have broken away from the United States successfully. It's one of those what it's one of those great what if questions in uh in United States history, but also world history and what it would have affected the entire world if the South had broke away and become its own country. This was a this was a key surrender, definitely, because uh, yes, I I get that it was the South surrendering to the Union, but you have to also remember at this time that this really came as a surprise to a lot of the Southern leaders, and uh, a lot of the Southerners were still actually very active in the Civil War, and uh, didn't see Lee's surrender as uh, very credible, and uh, we'll see that a little bit later on some of those movements that took place even after Grant had surrendered to the Union forces at Appomattox. Robert, you, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Did I say something wrong? 
You said Grant. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. <laughs> I'm a little tired on this end, to say the least. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Um, and then uh, on top of that, some have even argued that this was only part of a far larger plan that Union forces could have never conceived, and that actually after the end of the Civil War, the Confederacy escaped with their vast treasury, hoping that eventually one day they would be able to rise again. So uh, there was a grand conspiracy supposedly going on at this time that, uh, yes, the Union realized that uh, Lee surrendered, but they wondered uh, if there was something else that they couldn't conceive of and that there was something else going on in the background that they, that they didn't take in mind during this time. So yes, Robert E. Lee was the head major head general of the Confederacy, but after his surrender, the Confederacy still was not, was not, was not through yet. And that's where they, that's where we see this kind of continuation of it. Yep. So it's one of those uh, one of those great questions of history was is uh, what if there was a huge conspiracy going on in the South and that they were uh, making plans to rise again and uh, a lot of these theories actually arrive from a plan that was formulated and this was uh, formulated by group created during the Civil War so there actually was a group and they were known as the Knights of the Golden Circle. And uh, these guys are super interesting. And if you uh, you fall in the rabbit hole of all the stuff that they do and uh, the impact that they have on the Civil War, it really is quite surprising. When I was doing some of the research for this episode, the, you know, just make sure that some of my facts were straight and correct for you guys. Uh, it really surprised me even. And I've uh, I've done a ton of research on uh, history through the years. And uh, this one really, really came as a surprise to me. Some of the stuff that this group, the Knights of the Golden Circle, actually did and the impact that they would have on the Civil War. Yeah, this is where this is where I was really going because I uh, I didn't even know of the existence of the Knights of the Golden Circle. I mean, it, it sounds very familiar, but to think of an, uh, a hidden influencing society in the in the North was, uh, was very interesting to me. Oh yeah, and. They, like I was saying, they were a southern extremist group, so they were very much a part of the South. But uh, another interesting aspect about them is they were also acting in the North, and uh, they were trying to avert Union forces. So not only did they have an influential role in the South, but they were also very influential in the North, and that they were actually messing around with Confederate forces. And uh, it makes you wonder if some of those early battles that the Confederates lost, and uh, even some of the later battles weren't influenced by this group because uh, the Union forces or the Union army at this time was was very developed and compared to uh, compared to the Federates to the Confederates as long as they could last for five years they had all the men they had all the manufacturing that they needed but yes they ultimately end up winning the war but some of those early tragedies that they suffered, were, uh, were very questionable, to say the least. And uh, one doesn't wonder if this was actually impacted by the Knights of the Golden Circle. So the the main goal of this, U, of this group... God, I can't talk, sorry, guys. 
The main goal of this group was to get Mexico and other southern countries to join so that they could gain the independence from the United States of America. So, like we were saying, the North had been encroaching on the South, and uh, the, the Confederates and uh, the South in general were, uh, weren't very happy about this, to say the least. And uh, they realized that if the North was growing, that they were going to have to grow as well. And the only place it could go was South. And uh, so this plan was formulated about this great golden circle of countries that would unite together with the South to gain their independence. And uh, some of these countries included uh, countries in the Caribbean, uh, Mexico, and uh, even uh, Brazil and as far south into uh, South America. So uh, that's really interesting. So the main story behind Confederate gold has to do with the secret society, the Knights of the Golden Circle. And you really can't understand the idea of Confederate gold until you talk about this secret society. And like we were saying, this secret society of the Knights of the Golden Circle ultimately played a far larger part in the Civil War than you may have ever expected. All right. So if you don't have anything to say, Ian, uh, let me get into the Lincoln assassination. Sounds good. All right. All right, guys. We're going to have to wrap it up for this episode. And next time, we'll start talking about the KGC and uh, some of the conspiracy that's surrounded behind them. And uh, it's really some interesting stuff that they allegedly did and uh, maybe that they definitely did do. Um, talk about the, the Lincoln assassination, uh, Jesse James, the famous outlaw. Um, one of, uh, a very interesting book called, uh, Rebel Gold. We'll mention some of the work that's in that book and, uh, maybe connections with, uh, other societies like the Freemasons, which were, uh, which played a very influential role in the founding of the KGC and, uh, a very influential role during the civil war as well. And then uh, even a TV show on uh, the History Channel called The Curse of Civil War Gold, in which they believe there was a Confederate box train that actually sunk in Lake Michigan, and that uh, some rich people out of Muskegon, Michigan, may have actually found this box train and uh, stole the Confederate gold for themselves, making themselves very rich. And uh, The Lost Dutchman's Mine, which uh, is in the Superstition Mountains, which is... Uh, which may also play a very important role with the KGC and some of the places where the South may have gotten their treasure for the treasury that they have. So it should all be really interesting, and uh, we'll get into that next time. Yeah, uh, this uh, podcast, this first uh, first part of the podcast went a lot longer than we we initially intended, but. Uh, it'll be very interesting to get into the Lincoln assassination and the KGC uh, yeah. next episode. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the research in this one was actually, uh, it's, it was a lot more extensive than I thought it was going to be. So we could probably do a few episodes on this and uh, it should, it should be pretty interesting. All right. So we'll wrap this up. <laughs> And next week we'll have 
another episode on a historical subject. And uh, that one should be interesting, too. It actually has some stuff to do with uh, some books that Ian's been reading for uh, for school. And, uh, yeah, I should be more familiar with the next my next topic. Uh, I surprised him with this one. I surprised him with the next episode. I think uh, he's really going to enjoy that one specifically. So that one should be good too. That includes uh, some some conspiracy on a uh, Shakespeare, Sir Francis Bacon, Ben Jonson, and uh, Henry Neville, who were all very important with uh, the English literature that was published during the Victorian era. Yeah, we dive deep into the Elizabethan era in that episode. Oh, Elizabethan era. Sorry, <laughs> that's right. Uh, as usual, I would like to give a shout out to Anchor, my podcasting service. That has been a miracle in making these episodes, and uh, I really couldn't have made this podcast without it. It's been a it's been a great software, besides some technology issues along the way, but those have been uh, very few. And uh, even if you guys want to make your own podcast, this is a great service to do that, and I really I highly recommend it. More importantly, I would like to give a shout out to some of you guys as my listeners, and uh, as we continue on to embark on this podcast. And uh, especially with the Facebook page, your support has been very important to uh, to what we do. And uh, because of it, we're actually we're going to be getting a new mic, and uh, we're going to be getting serious on some of this stuff. And that new mic should be uh, coming mid-April. So uh, our quality should be better, too. So if you guys have had problems with the quality, you should be able to get that fixed as well. So I'd like to give a shout out to some of the new people that have liked the Facebook page and have followed the Facebook page. And uh, I'll list off some of their names here. All right. Kelly Olson, Dylan Donnelly, and Sherry Drutzler. Sorry if I butchered some of your names. Uh, I actually had a thing going back with Dylan. He's one of our friends. And he. Uh, if you guys like music, I recommend checking out the Todd Donnelly and the Dylan Donnelly uh music stuff that they do and i could probably find a link and i could put that on our page to uh give you guys some more info on them because what they do is actually really interesting too it has nothing to do with the history stuff that we talk about but he's a good friend of mine and uh i'll give him the shout out and credit where he yeah. deserves it his, his music takes it away if you're uh feeling trapped in your uh, house you might want to listen to his music at him it's a uh, very it's very fun it's like uh an island type music Yep, very tropical music, and uh, he's actually doing a Facebook live show tonight at 7, and uh, I'm going to be watching that, and it should be interesting. I recommend him, and uh, he's a cool guy. So is his dad. His dad does music for a living, so. All right, you got anything before we wrap this up, Ian? Uh, no, nothing else. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Go check out Dylan Donnelly's uh Facebook and uh, check out our Facebook if you haven't yet. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, thank you guys for watching. Yeah. All that being said, uh, yep. Thank you guys and have a nice week. This is Jacob. Yeah. All right, and we're signing off. Carpet Dime. Carpet Dime.